as we remember the words from scripture we just heard. Loving God, mold us into your chosen ones that we may be holy and beloved. We ask that you would lay out the kind of spiritual clothing you would have us wear of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and above all, love binding us together in harmony with the peace of Christ. And help us, God, that we may be thankful. We ask all these things, and may the words of our mouths and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I'm a little extra tall up here this morning, so I'm going to adjust. There we go. For those of you who are visiting, I don't normally preach up here, but it is good to be able to see you clearly, all of you. <laughs> Apparently we have some fans of the pulpit. Good, because uh, I have some things to say. Um, this being our last Sunday of June, uh, up here in the sanctuary and the end of our program year when we have our all-parish meeting, I had thought of today's sermon as a sort of state of the congregation address, how I think we're doing. And the truth is, the news is all very good. I'm going to get to that in a moment, but given what we all awaken to on Sunday morning and have been hearing constantly in the news and on social media, I thought it was important to talk a little bit about the events of the week. For some of us, we may have first heard about it in prayers here in worship. I was grateful to a member of the congregation who alerted me to what happened in Orlando in the early morning hours on Sunday. And it took me a couple days to decide what to send to you, and I sent out a letter in which I mentioned that just a week before, here in Dorchester, we had had a high school student fatally shot right in front of his thriving high school, as well as the event that has captured all of our attention and that of the world's this past week. And they're not unrelated. I said in my letter to you that they point to me to a national sin, a way that we have gotten far out of line with the kinds of things I believe that God wants for us, and that I believe in a theological, spiritual context, we are called to repentance. Now, I know sin and repentance are hard words for us who tend to be in the more moderate stream of Protestantism, but sin means missing the mark of separating ourselves from God, and repentance means changing our minds, turning things around. I'm aware that many of us needed to take a breath, we may still need to take a breath, of all the ways this has touched our hearts, all the ways this is another gut punch to the national psyche. And it has become a long litany of names, Columbine, Aurora, Tucson, Newtown, San Bernardino, Orlando, just to name a few. Since Newtown, nearly three years ago, three and a half years ago, there have been a thousand 
such incidents of four or more people killed in this country. A friend of mine on Facebook, a leading voice in the United Church of Christ, posted the following, paraphrasing the prophets Isaiah and Amos. To all you religious people out there who are falling all over yourselves today to remember, honor, and mourn people you despised, denigrated, dehumanized, and legislated against in life, I don't want your services and ceremonies, your high-minded declarations, your flowery sentiments, your shock and horror, and your tears. I want your repentance. I want repentance, and I want to hear a firm purpose of amendment. I want to see acts that speak of your repentant hearts. I want change born of authentic shame and guilt. I want recognition of your errors and your indifference and your cruelty. I want you to ask forgiveness, and I want to forgive you. First step, no hypocrisy, tell the truth. Hard words, hard prophetic words, but something I think we should all listen to because sometimes I think the hard words are the pressure to put on the wound of what is going on. And I don't usually look for theological reflection in late night talk show hosts, but I was surprised and heartened to hear Samantha Bee say this week, after a massacre, the standard operating procedure is that you stand on stage and deliver some well-meaning words about how we will get through this together, how love wins and love conquers hate. My ears perked up because that was the message of our Easter sermon, that love conquers hate. That is something we have repeated throughout Eastertide. And Samantha B. went on, I'll amend her language here, but she said, that is great. That is beautiful to say that love conquers hate, but you know what? I am too angry for that. Love does not win unless we start loving each other enough to start fixing our problems. She then went on to quote the second chapter of the letter to James, and my ears really perked up, in which James writes to those who would read and listen, faith without works is dead. So it makes me think about our faith and what we're willing to do and what we're willing to speak up and how we're willing to be prophetic and how we're willing to make change in the world. I'm a little tired of being careful and being politically correct and even being careful about what I say here. So I'm just gonna say it. The National Rifle Association, known as the NRA, has an inordinate amount of power that is not healthy for the soul of this country. From 1871 to 1977, its purpose was for gun control. It advocated laws and measures to make us responsible in our use of the Second Amendment and in our bearing arms. And since 1977, it changed course and decided to emphasize gun rights. And if you look through the history through through 1977, you will see at every turn that legislators and gun makers have made to make safety and restrictions 
and try to make things safer for all of us, they have resisted and have gotten an inordinate amount of power. One of my colleagues who works closely on gun safety said to me this week, they are essentially a front for an industry. And those of us who have a different view of how things should go in this country don't have an industry to support us. Now the fact is we all know what the NRA is. And I'm not saying it should be completely abolished and I'm not saying that people should divest their membership. What I am saying is there needs to be a repentance, a change of heart because things are not working. And so the thing I would say to us, those of us who would be willing to challenge this idea of gun rights and what it means for all of us to reinterpret it and rethink about it, we should think about who are the other organizations that are doing good in the world? Can you name them? Are you aware of them? Because they are out there and they need our attention. The truth of the matter is they're working on a state-by-state -state basis and there's not much traction at the national level. But I believe if we are serious as people of faith who want to follow the words of scripture we heard today, if we are faithful as citizens, we will start by paying more attention to who is getting the work done to change the conversation. Now, what does that have to do with the people at Colossae and the people of United Parish? If you look at this passage we just heard and these beautiful words of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness, love, peace, and gratitude, those to me are the basics of church. Paul wrote them to some people living in what is now the current state of Turkey and helping them figure out what it meant to follow this itinerant rabbi named Yeshua because they didn't know and they had many options around them, much like you and I often aren't very clear on what it means to follow the risen Christ, what it means to live into these words that love conquers hate, just as you and I have many options out there that we could choose from, but we continue to come into a place that celebrates the memory and the enduring spirit of Christ and holds the cross in front of us. One of my favorite preachers remembers that when he was 14 years old, he was baptized and he heard these words that start out the passage. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And he walked away from his baptism with his dripping clothes still bundled under his arm, dressed in the new robe of baptism, and he wondered what these words meant. What does it mean that I have died and hidden with Christ in God? What does that mean for me when I go to school, when I'm on the ball field? What, how do I talk? What do I sound like? Is anybody going to know that I've been raised from the dead? Should I dress up a little bit better than I've been dressing? It wouldn't hurt. Do I talk another way? Do I throw in a verse of scripture every now and then? Are they going to say, well, now it looks like he's been raised from the dead? How do you talk? How do you walk? How do you relate? You see, the people in Colossae were trying to figure this out, 
And they were trying all sorts of different things to figure out what it meant to be church. They were doing things like psychic readings, looking into the future, or communing with the dead. They even had something that we're not quite sure what it was, but it translates roughly as walking in the middle of the air. And Paul, or Timothy, or whoever wrote this letter to them, said, look, all that is well and good, but it's not the real deal. It's self-serving. And if you really want to follow Christ, look at these qualities, compassion, gentleness, humility, forgiveness, love, peace, and gratitude. So I think that's what we need to keep refocusing on here at United Parish. That's what we have been focusing on. And that's what I think we're going to continue to focus on, whether it is standing up for social issues or just learning how to pray and sing spiritual songs together. So I ask around on staff and in our council meeting this Wednesday night what we think is going well in the life of our church. And here's the thing, is I believe church is more necessary now, houses of faith are more important now than ever for us to get centered in what are the values we want to project once we step outside those doors. And here's what people said. And I hear this again and again, that people come into this space and feel a welcoming attitude. It comes through, it's obvious everywhere. There is consistent feedback about this, that people enjoy one another here and they enjoy having new people in our midst. We can always work harder at that, but I want to encourage us to always look for the person who is overlooked, who may be forgotten. People have told me that the only reason they came back is because someone reached out to them and let them know they were glad they were here. So a strong sense of welcome is one of our hallmarks, which is good. Also, our worship, people find that our worship has this welcoming attitude coming through it. Several people said they take a part of worship home with them each time. Of course, we love our music ministry and the way it weaves things together and is integrated in our life, not only in the sanctuary, but outside of it. We have had many children helping lead us in worship, finding their own voice and their own presence among us. We had our confirmation service in which our confirmands gave brave and thoughtful statements of faith. We have lovely rituals we are building on. Some people and sometimes find our worship a little too rambunctious or unpredictable, and we try to work on that as well. But I am always thinking in worship about what it's like for the first person who came into the room for the first time. We also said that we believe our ministry teams are becoming vibrant and solid. They're bringing things alive. There has been invigoration. People are living into the vision articulated of exalting in worship, deepening in Christian faith, gathering in community, stretching into justice, and we also say stewarding our resources. And here's the thing. People like each other and like working together. Amen. Our stretching ministry has pulled us more as we have looked together at how we address the issue of mass incarceration, how we put out boldly there that black lives matter in this place, that we are engaged with the current topics of the day. Prayer has also been a big part of our time together in our deepening, in the reading of the new Jim Crow, in our prayer groups in Lent that people appreciated, and in our centering prayer that is coming together. 
And in our fellowship, one of our strongest initiatives this past year from our gathering team was to have our dinners for eight in which 150 of us met together in small dinners in people's homes and here at church. People say we would like more of that, more of that connecting. Prayer and fellowship seem to be the center of what people are yearning for here. One of our leaders said three or four years ago it felt like we couldn't manage coffee hour and now it feels abundant after worship, symbolic of our hospitality and growth. And as we've seen in the last two joinings, we are a fully intergenerational church with new grandparents, new students and young professionals, new young families coming into our midst. I would say in our fellowship and in our welcome, there is a deep humanity, indeed a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. So those are all good things to keep alive. And finally, it was mentioned, and I would agree, that our staff is strong and hardworking and dedicated. We begin our meetings with prayer, praying for the people of this congregation and our work in collaboration. There is creativity, teamwork, celebrations. When I look out at this congregation, I'm amazed at the high level of participation of the people in the pews with the life that goes on during the week, higher than I've seen in other churches. And here are the concerns I have for us going forward. Sometimes I get a little concerned that our vision is outpacing our capability. Or as one person on council put it, that our eyes may be bigger than our appetite. When I see people involved in two or three or more essential parts of our life together, I get concerned as pastor about eventual burnout. Are we stretching ourselves too thin and not deep enough? Are we getting too involved because we care about so many things and not focusing enough? And it's a criticism of me as well, because like our seminarian, I enjoy drinking life from a fire hose. The question it leaves me with, are we poised and do we want to grow bigger? This was part of the vision. Growth will always bring change, some of it uncomfortable, but I think if we want to do it, and we are growing, but if we want to do it intentionally, I have to we think about, we need to think about why. What are the gifts and strengths that we have here in the United Parish that we need to share with the people beyond our doors, indeed right in our immediate neighborhood? What is it about the way we do compassion, kindness, forgiveness, love, peace, and gratitude that needs to be shared here? When the search committee interviewed me, they said that they felt like United Parish was a well-kept secret and we want to be better known. And so my question is, what will that look like? With our new moderator and council and our ministry team conveners in the fall, I plan to schedule a time that we can look at this intentionally of why and how we would want to grow. Sometimes I believe that we have gotten away and it's easy to get away from these basics of church life. I tend to think that all we need to do church is to come together and pray and to serve others. That's the basics, that's all we need to do I also think eating together is a good thing, and it starts with the holy meal, which we'll celebrate in a moment. 
Someone else I know says that all you actually need for church is Christ and human need. So I want us to be aware of the times that our dreams, our ideas, get a little beyond our reach, perhaps cause us to strive a little bit more than we need to, of where is this core of love, forgiveness, compassion, gentleness, and forbearance and peace, and above all, gratitude. Because when we open up the newspapers and our websites, and we see what is going on in the world, and so much of the news is bad, you and I need to have some good news to meet the world. I believe we are doing that, and we will continue to do that with the grace of God and the love among us. Amen.